Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome into the latest edition of the Show Before the Show podcast, the official podcast of MILB.com. Uh, all three of us here today. My name is Tyler Mon, Sam Dykstra, and Benjamin Hill in the borough of Brooklyn in New York City. How are you guys doing? It's been a, a big day that we're going to get to some news about. Yeah, good. No, we should point out we are not next to each other. Right, um, right. Spiritually, we're They're always both in next Brooklyn, to each other. But we're both in Brooklyn, but not, not close. But more than six feet apart. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes, yeah, but very close. Spiritually lined, same borough, but um, a little more than six feet. Yeah. Uh, well, we have so much to discuss today as we uh, welcome you into this week's episode. And uh, big thanks for tuning in wherever you found us uh, at MILB.com or uh, the show before the show podcast on Apple Podcasts and Google Play and uh, Spotify and Stitcher and everywhere else. Uh, you can give us a rating and a review and a subscription. You can get in touch with the show podcast at MILB.com. Uh, we are certain that you will have many questions as uh, the news of the day. The reason why we're coming to you on February 12th, the Friday, when we ordinarily come to you on a, a Wednesday or a Thursday throughout the week is because, quote, Major League Baseball today announced that all 120 minor league clubs offered an invitation to become professional development league license holders have officially agreed to accept. These teams selected as partners by major league clubs and being announced in full today will provide both facilities and communities that are essential to the development of the next generation of big league stars. For the uh, immediate term, what this means is we are finalizing and codifying the structure of the minor leagues, minor league teams for the 2021 season. This is a conversation that has been ongoing for quite some time. Uh, we've been anxiously awaiting the news, anxiously awaiting the structure. There will now be four full season levels, triple A, double A, high A, and low A. So uh, as our, our buddy Joe Bloss uh, joked on Twitter earlier today, one of our writers at MILB.com, uh, congratulations to him and all of his colleagues. We can start calling high A and low A by the names that everybody else has called them for so long. We no longer have to say class A advanced and class A full season. Um, but that is where we are. Each major league team, all 30 now with four full season affiliates, there's been a little bit of shuffling in terms of where the affiliates will be, obviously, um, and who those teams will be uh, aligned with going forward across the minor league levels. Um, but this is something that we've waited for for it feels like an eternity, and this is a, 
a conversation that I'm assuming in a, a different dimension somewhere where a global pandemic didn't hit. We probably had this conversation uh, and had things more clearly outlined a few months ago or so, but obviously events in the world have pushed uh, the conversation to a little bit later, but we've arrived here. And uh, fellas, I'm anxious to, to get your thoughts. Obviously, I don't really know where to start this conversation um, because there is so much to break down, but just kind of your initial reactions, uh, Sam, we'll, we'll start with you to the news today, uh, being able to, to get into finally the meat of this decision? Yeah, I think my first reaction um, was just being grateful that it was 120 for 120. Um, you know, we, we talked a couple of weeks ago about invitations were sent out for PDLs, for professional development uh, licenses, and teams had to go over them with their lawyers and their and you know the, the law side, uh, make sure every duck was in a row. And, and a lot of that had to do with improving facilities, um, making sure things were better for players and all that. And if teams agreed with them, then they would send them back to MLB signed saying we agree and there would be a 10 year agreement. Uh, the deadline for that was, was February 10th. It sounds like that need to be pushed a little bit, but we still got there. We got 120 for 120. I remember we talked about this on the show. Fresno was one of the big sticklers um, going from AAA to Class A uh, in, in that new league there. But they're sticking around. They've actually announced that it's a 15-year agreement, that a team will be there. They may have signed a 10-year PDL with the Rockies, but they will be there for 15 years. So it's good to have that in place. Uh, if it had gone 118 or for 120 or 119 for 120, maybe we would be scrounging around trying to find out who are those last two teams. But it's good to have this set for right now and know who we're going forward with for a long time. That's the other thing. Again, a 10 year agreement. These teams are going to be around for a decade. We're not, we're no longer having these player development shuffles like that. This, that next discussion is going to be a long way off. So to have that consistency in place is good. It's just, it, it's a lot to get used to. Um, we'll, we'll get into the league's names. Uh, I know a lot of people in Twitter, specifically in my mentions that have gotten into that and basically every corner of baseball Twitter about the league names. We'll touch on that in a little bit, but um, just knowing that the 120 that we all expected will be the 120 we're moving forward with is a good step. Um, but Ben, you know, as somebody who has been to almost all of these clubs, except for some of the new ones, Sugarland uh, being one of them, Somerset joining uh, St. Paul, you know, these are all new clubs you have to add to your list, but as somebody who travels all four corners of, of the minor league globe, what were you thinking when this news officially uh, became official this morning? Yeah. I mean, I was thinking many things uh, as we were saying, there is so much to unpack. I mean, for everyone, for us, uh, for everyone who is even you know a fan of minor league baseball, just looking at uh, your favorite teams, uh, where are they? Are they still there? <laughs> um, who are the other players in their league or the teams in their league? I mean, it just goes on. I mean, so my first thoughts, I don't know. I think my first thought was just kind of like what you said, Sam, just like, just some gratitude, like, okay, this process is over. Um, you know, it was just like anything else. The waiting is the hardest part. Um, even if it's not everything is satisfied to one's liking, just having it hanging over uh, without a clear sense of resolution was, I think, the most difficult thing, especially coming after a season that didn't happen. Entering uncertainty regardless in 2021 with as we figure out the specifics of when the season starts fans in the stands with the uh with COVID-19 and the vaccinations uh you know the fact that now teams can get their schedules 
uh, hopefully even with some still uncertainty regarding the you know COVID-19 and and uh, you know how many fans can be in the park um, announcing the official landscape is huge and that schedules would seem to be the next step and hopefully very quickly that allows teams that have not operated since 2019 um, in terms of fans in the stands to finally have a schedule to start selling their games selling season tickets saying here's when we're playing here's what you get um, hopefully getting new sponsors um, you know renewing sponsorships um, activating sponsorships that should have been in place for 2020. Um, when you have a schedule, you can move forward with the entirety of your business operations, knowing what's taking place when, and plugging in a lot of things in some cases that were left over from 2020, and in a lot of cases having to figure out with uh, you know not much time to do it, uh, figuring out new things as we approach the season. So it's just so huge for planning. I mean, from a fan level, just planning to go to a game, if you want to go to a road trip, all that. So those are a lot of my first thoughts. Um, you know, I thought about how much I will miss in the minor league landscape. We knew a lot of this. We already knew that it was down to 120 teams from 160. Um, I have been gratified that you know, most of those 40 teams that are no longer in the landscape have found some sort of alternate situation, whether it's summer collegiate or indie ball. Um, I would like to think that the communities that supported them in the past will continue to support them with the level of play being the same. And regardless of the level of play, just the experience that those teams offered within minor league baseball can continue you know, to be offered, even if they're not specifically affiliated. And by no means do I think a lack of affiliation is some sort of death sentence uh, for the success of these teams going forward. So whether it's, you know, summer collegiate uh, in the Appy League or, um, you know, a new form of indie ball in the Pioneer League or previously um, in the, um, affiliated teams going to independent leagues, you know, like the Kane County Cougars, for example, going to the American Association, there's going to be a lot of previously affiliated teams uh, with, a new existence ahead of them that I think, knock on wood, can still be very successful outside of the affiliated landscape. Then even within the landscape that's now reduced to 120, you know, there is just a lot more to explore. I wrote a story that was on the site, an article um, that was on the site uh, earlier this week, uh, you know, latest edition of my batting around column, um, but saying like, wow, when you add it all up, there's going to be nine, there's only 120 teams, so we have 40 less teams but we have essentially an unprecedented number of new ballparks in uh, 2021. I know that's maybe not the lead story when we look at all the changes, but I know a lot of people are really interested in the places these teams play. And uh, there'll be nine ballparks making their uh, minor league baseball debuts in 2021. That includes four holdover holdovers that would have opened in 2020, uh, Wichita, Fredericksburg, Rocket City, and Kannapolis. Two that are still under construction that are gonna open for 2021. Sam, I can say it well now. Worcester. You can. That was good. See, well done. That was good. Nailed it. And uh, Beloit as well. So we adding to the four 2020 holdovers, we have Worcester and Beloit the under construction and set to debut in 2021. And then not new ballparks per se, but three previously uh, ballparks that previously hosted uh, an independent league team are now in the affiliated landscape in the form of the Somerset Patriots, Sugarland Skeeters, and St. Paul Saints. So... You know, for what I do and for the people who are into uh, the realm of the minors I cover, the road trips, the ballparks, the culture of minor league baseball, I mean, that is a lot of new ballparks, new locales. And uh, when you combine that with the teams that aren't technically affiliated but still operating, um, thinking positively for the future, that's still so much to explore uh, with an affiliation or without. And, uh, you know, we're still working out the parameters of exactly, you know, what we'll be covering um, as regards MILB.com and minor league baseball and, um, 
you know, so much to figure out, but I think the bottom line is they will still be so much going on, so much to explore, so many teams in operation. And um, even though this is a little unsettling in a lot of ways, just such a massive change, I, I would just stress, not to sound corny about it, but emphasizing the positive and looking at all the ways that we can all support baseball in 2021 and beyond as we get back to quote unquote normalcy. I am so grateful to have you two guys to talk to today because there are not two better people uh, on earth to have this conversation with about the restructuring of minor league baseball. Um, I think, Ben, your point is extraordinarily valid about, you know, you think about a team like Kane County, which is shifting over to the the independent side or some of the other teams that have uh, had to go that route. You know, when it boils down to um, the, the base elements of it, what people have gone to Kane County Cougars games for in years past is still what they're going to get. They're still going to get a fun night out of the ballpark with their families. They're still going to get goofy between inning competitions. They're still going to get affordable family fun. All of that stuff is still going to be there. Um, and so I agree wholeheartedly that I think there are so many reasons to be positive, even for the teams that are now outside of the, the codified affiliated structure. Now, inside that structure, Let's go level by level and league by league and look at this thing. In large part, AAA and AA essentially include the same teams that they would have in 2020 had we had a season with a few changes. So here is how the AAA and AA landscapes look uh, moving into 2021. There is no longer an international league and a Pacific Coast League. That will become a theme throughout the rest of this conversation. There is now what is deemed AAA East and AAA West. AAA East has 20 teams spread across three different divisions, the Midwest Division, the Northeast Division, and the Southeast Division. Uh, some notable additions or movements uh, in that league. Worcester, as Ben noted, uh, getting into the league now uh, as the, the relocated Pawtucket Red Sox. Jacksonville has made the move up formerly in the, the AA Southern League, now a member of the AAA East League, uh, and the St. Paul Saints, formerly independent, who are now members of that league. The Iowa Cubs have moved over from the Pacific Coast League to, I think we can all admit, what fits a lot more uh, logically in a geographical sense, being grouped in with those East clubs. Um, so does Memphis, so does Nashville. That's sort of how that footprint falls. AAA West is fascinating because it's a much smaller circuit, and this is kind of something that harkens back to the days when there were three triple-A leagues. Um, there were footprints that made more sense across the middle swath of the country and then on the coasts. Now, there are 10 teams in triple-A West, which are teams that pretty easily could be called the Pacific Coast League this time around. It was always kind of strange that Iowa, Memphis, Nashville, they were in a league called Pacific Coast. Uh, but now it's Albuquerque, El Paso, Oklahoma City, Round Rock, Sugarland, a new addition uh, from the independent ranks, Las Vegas, Reno, Sacramento, Salt Lake, and Tacoma. Obviously not all of those are on the actual Pacific Coast, but they're in the mountain or the West, uh, the Pacific time zones. So they seem to make a lot of sense. Double A largely has stayed very much what it would have looked like in, in 2020. Um, the leagues now have new names and they do have some new additions. The AA Central League is formerly what we would have called the Texas League. Arkansas, Northwest Arkansas, Springfield, Tulsa, Wichita, which has dropped down. It was supposed to be in AAA. Amarillo, Corpus Christi, Frisco, Midland, and San Antonio. Basically the Texas League. What is now the AA Northeast League, Pretty much the Eastern League, Binghamton, Hartford, New Hampshire, Portland, Reading, Somerset, a new addition uh, from the independent ranks, Altoona, Bowie, Erie, Harrisburg, Richmond. Then there is the AA South, formerly basically the Southern League, Birmingham, Chattanooga, Rocket City, Tennessee, Biloxi, Mississippi, Montgomery, and Pensacola. Um, these two leagues, uh, or these two levels, I should say, largely are pretty much what 
we have seen at those levels in years past, just more of a realignment than it is a total restructuring. Um, Sam, from the logistics standpoint, uh, as these leagues go forward, what's going to be interesting is you got 20 teams in one AAA league, 10 in the other. These AA leagues are pretty much the same. They just have new names, it seems like. Yeah, no, these AA ones, I mean, the biggest thing, this biggest stickler, which is true of many of you at home listening to this, many people on the internet, many people who follow the news today is just getting used to these new names, which we should stress as far as we, we are aware and what we have been told so far is that they are placeholders. Um, they could last the 2021 season. I understand that. It might take some getting used to this year, um, but they are not expected to be long-term solutions for these leagues. Now, what are the long-term solutions? Those are being figured out. Those are still up in the air. Um, but the idea of AAA East being the name forever and ever after this, that's far from set in stone. Um, so don't get too married to these names, even as quirky as they are, and frankly, as confusing as they can be given some of the division names. Um, but I think this AAA East League, like you said, Tyler, makes so much more sense now, even if it is 20 teams. This, uh, this Midwest division just makes a lot of sense, putting Columbus, Indianapolis, Iowa, Louisville, Omaha, St. Paul, and Toledo all together makes a lot of sense. Obviously, AAA leagues, a lot of them travel by commercial air. Um, so travel is not as big of a deal there as it is in the lower leagues. And we can talk about that later. But restricting travel, especially this year, uh, when AAA could start maybe as early as early April, uh, when things are still up in the air about what the pandemic is going to look like, limiting travel at least a little bit is going to be helpful for these clubs, um, getting comfortable moving around and all that, that sort of thing. So I, I do appreciate that there is some consolidation there. Now, you know, how do things look going forward? Is it what is it going to be like trying to compete in a 20 team league uh, is going to be really interesting. The AAA West, are they going to get bored of playing each other? Cause there's only nine other teams every year. And again, there is going to be these pods of divisions that you're going to see certain teams a lot more. Uh, some of these, some of these games you're going to see for six game series. Like that's going to get incredible to see just how that's going to work from a development standpoint, uh, facing guys multiple times in a, in a few days, but uh, at least this level of consolidation at the AAA level makes like a, a little bit more sense than what we used to have. Because again, going from Nashville to Tacoma was always going to be insane. We are so lucky to be able to have Ben on for his perspective on stuff. Uh, somebody who is uh, more familiar with the, the, atmospheres and the communities and the fans and the uh the spirit of minor league baseball than probably anybody else on the planet and that's why i left uh bringing ben into this part of the conversation until after the class a discussion because these are simultaneously the leagues and levels that have been most changed and most affected they are also simultaneously the leagues and levels that i think most uh classically embody minor league baseball when you think about what minor league baseball is you think about a small town like kinston north carolina which is now home to the class a low a down east wood duck something like that or Kannapolis or uh, augusta those types of you know you're under the the lights and it's a, a southern summer night and you're going out for you know getting dollar hot dogs and doing all that kind of stuff um and we're going to talk uh, a lot about these leagues and levels and how they have changed first let's run through them the biggest changes in these leagues and levels are essentially a lot of flipped places. So teams that used to be low A are now high A. And we start off there with the high A central league as it is deemed right now. That features an East and West division, which is essentially the old Midwest league, Dayton, Fort Wayne, Great Lakes, Lake County, Lansing, West Michigan, Beloit, Cedar Rapids, Peoria, Quad Cities, South Bend, and Wisconsin. The high A East league is now 
a lot of former members of the South Atlantic League, which was a low A league, now is a high A league, along with some former New York Penn League members, uh, Aberdeen, Brooklyn, Hudson Valley, Jersey Shore, formerly Lakeland, uh, or Lakewood rather, which uh, changed their name to Jersey Shore as the Blue Claws for this year. Wilmington, which is actually a former Carolina League team, so they'll stay in high A, where the rest of that circuit pretty much drops down. Bowling Green, Greensboro, Greenville, Hickory, Rome, and Winston-Salem. Then there is the high A West League, which is a lot of the former footprint of the uh, Northwest League and some mixed in uh, Pioneer League remnants as well. Eugene, Everett, Hillsborough, Spokane, Tri-City, and Vancouver. Actually, I guess all Northwest League, uh, formerly Northwest League teams that are now high A West. Um, Low A East, three leagues, 12 teams in the East, 10 in the Southeast, eight in the West. The Low A East is a lot of essentially all former Carolina League and South Atlantic League teams. Carolina, Down East, Fayetteville, Kannapolis, Delmarva, Fredericksburg, Lynchburg, Salem, Augusta, Charleston, Columbia, and Myrtle Beach. Um, you could pretty much call that the Carolinas League uh, if you wanted to, even though Delmarva is outside that footprint, Fredericksburg as well. But a majority of those teams, uh, if not in North and South Carolina, are just over the border in Virginia. The Southeast League is basically the former Florida State League. Daytona, Jupiter, Palm Beach, St. Lucie, Bradenton, Clearwater. Dunedin, Fort Myers, Lakeland, and Tampa. Those 10 teams now comprise the low A Southeast League, Florida State League, formerly high A. Then there is the low A West League, which essentially is the old California League plus Fresno uh, and minus Lancaster. So you have Fresno, Modesto, San Jose, Stockton, Inland Empire, Lake Elsinore, Rancho Cucamonga, and Visalia. Um, Ben, there is so much to digest with all this. And you kind of put it perfectly before we started recording today. You said, you know, as they say on the internet, there is so much to unpack. Um, These leagues are leagues that have, you know, when we talk about the Southern League or we talk about the South Atlantic League or the Carolina League or uh, some of these circuits, they've been around, you know, in the case of the Southern League or the International League since the 1800s. They are gone now. And the, the ultimate thing about all of this is that these teams continue along with minor league baseball. They have their uh, affiliations, they have their futures and all of that. But there is something that I think a lot of people are going to be um, sad to see go in these league identities, these league histories, these record books, all those types of things. Not to say that they're going to be you know thrown into a pile and burned into oblivion, but there's no longer that conversation of, oh, this guy first South Atlantic leaguer to steal 50 bases in a season since blank. That's all gone now. Um, your thoughts about this shift with, with these teams, um, obviously a lot of really bright and optimistic things going forward, but there's a lot of change to get used to. And these are kind of the markets that I think people most closely identify with, Oh, that's what minor league baseball is in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of the smaller towns, um, smaller ballparks, um, you know, really pleasant summer nights as a result. Um, yeah, I think a big picture, some of it is inevitable with a reorganization of this kind that it doesn't really make sense to go carry forward with the pre-existing leagues. Um, I think it's important to remember just big picture that, you know, minor league baseball has always been just a landscape of change, even within yeah. a quote unquote venerable league, uh, just uh, say the PCL since 1903. I mean, that's a history that goes from a kind of quasi-major league pre-Western Major League Baseball expansion to being more affiliated to at one point having teams all over Canada. And even the teams that have been relatively stable, you know, have changed often changed affiliation a bunch of times. So even when you're trying to talk about a coherent league history, it is can be very hard for the average fan yeah. to follow, but at least it gave a larger contextualizing um, device to it. And I think that is, to me, one of the most 
um, you know, kind of sad aspects of the reorganization is, is how do we talk going forward about uh, contextualizing minor league baseball um, events of any kind within a league history when those league histories can no longer be directly tied with what came before. Um, and Tyler, with the, some of the leagues you were just talking about on the A level, I mean, it certainly makes sense. Um, it's one of them is, yeah, the low A East, or no, the um, high A East has teams from uh, four different leagues, um, at, you know, from where they played in 2019. So it makes sense. You can't really say, hey, we'll just call that the Carolina League right. now and forward because it really wouldn't make any sense. So on one hand, it's good to have a fresh start, but to not be able to attach it to such rich history that goes back decades and in some cases to the 19th century um, is a disappointing thing. And I think all of us are going to be really curious, um, you know, how these leagues are, you know, renamed going forward. And, uh, you know, as, as fans, how do we find ways to connect with the previous histories of the franchise in, in ways that make sense. And as writers and uh, podcasters, how do we talk about it in a way that provides a lineage because the lineage is still there, even if it gets even more convoluted. Um, but yeah, at these lower levels, like you talked about, I mean, it feels awkward to call it, you know, for, exa for example, high A East, but I do feel like these uh, are really, what a league. I mean, it's it's a real hodgepodge of where these teams used to be, but to have uh, three previous New York Penn League uh, teams in Aberdeen, Brooklyn, Brooklyn, and Hudson Valley now getting to play full season, you know, as Brooklyn residents, yeah. you know, to have a full season team in our proverbial backyards if you know our backyard went all the way to coney island in the ocean sam's looking behind him and i don't think he can quite see coney island in his backyard <laughs> i but, apparently can from a hill that's like right by my house so it's essentially but, my backyard yeah close enough <clears throat> so to have you know teams like that combined with south atlantic league teams and um like jersey shore which previously lakewood and Asheville, you know, they used to be in the South Atlantic League together, and they're, they're a long way away, and now they're still somehow in the same league in the high A East. But teams from North Carolina, uh, Asheville, Greensboro, Hickory, down to Rome, Georgia, um, you know, there's just such a diversity of experience in those locales uh, in terms of the types of places they are, the cities they are, the, the ballparks. Um, so again, with just being so much to explore, and um, you know, we'll just have to find new ways to contextualize it. But some of these uh, at the A level are particularly interesting, as well as, um, you know, the high A West, which Tyler mentioned, all previously in the Northwest League, all, um, only six teams in that league right now, the high A West, um, but all six have previously been short season in, in the Northwest League. So now they get to operate now at a, with more games and more opportunities to uh, see those teams. And a lot of those teams have long full season histories in their past. Uh, places right. like Spokane or Vancouver, um, before they were short season teams, had a long history of playing as high as the AAA level and being full season teams. Um, so in a way, sometimes it's like everything old is new again. And it's weird. This is so much, so many changes. But then when we talk about it and we talk about what it used to be and what it's changing from, we realize the things that we talk about it changing from were those in, those in and of themselves are things that changed from what had been before that. And often those are pretty big changes. And there, is there any more confusing landscape to really make sense of even before all this happened than minor league baseball? I will say unequivocally, no, there is not. And now it's even more confusing and it just gives us more uh, chance to just try to make sense of it all. And it is unsettling, but and just how new a lot of this is, but then when you look at the places, you look at the teams, and, and in a lot of cases, when you look at some of the leagues, and you're like, oh, we can essentially call this the Texas League. It's practically the same, um, and it'll be a little easier to trace a lineage, while other leagues are like, wow, this is a whole new entity, a total hodgepodge. So we're all going to be making it up as we go along, but 
um, I love minor league history. So I, I, I'll be working just as a fan and as a writer, and I know a lot of other people will, to try to find ways to contextualize these teams and these leagues in some sort of larger context and to, in terms of uh, where they used to operate and uh, the sort of entities they've been in the past. Uh, a few things to, to point out just real quick, Sam, I uh, feel bad because I sure I pointed out that Wilmington, oh, that's a high A team for the Carolina League that gets to stay at high A. Winston-Salem is also in that conversation, so my apologies to the Winston-Salem dash. Um, also, the uh, the Texas League, I just think it's funny that, you know, and that's why I said that Ben is the perfect guy for us to be able to talk to because the way he can contextualize this stuff uh, and pointing out that this really is a constant landscape of change um, is true, and it's the perfect way to look at it and to understand it. I mean, you look back to the days of not that long ago, just before the major league strike in 1994, the 1993 season, the West division winners, the West division champions, when major league baseball only had an East and a West division in the American league uh, and the national league, the West division champions were the Chicago white Sox and the Atlanta Braves, neither of which are West of anything. Um, so I know they're West of New York. I'm going to have to hear that. Um, but so I think that's the perfect way, Ben, to, to describe it. Sam, sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, no. I, I just wanted to point out while we were talking about these lower leagues, especially this high A East league, one question I'm sure many people at home have right now are when are schedules coming out? Yeah. You know, like that's, that's one big piece of this puzzle is like, okay, now we have the structure when are schedules, it sounds like we're going to get those within a week. Um, you know, there's so many things that have to fall in line here, but this was one big piece of that puzzle was getting the structure in place. So now that we know that the schedule should be coming hopefully in a week, maybe two weeks, but it sounds like they're coming next week. And this high A East league is fascinating because it is such a hodgepodge of New York Penn and Carolina and South Atlantic league and so on and so forth. So when you have Hudson Valley and Rome, Georgia in the same league, you really want to know, like, are either team going to have to make that journey? Like when so much of the reason behind this restructuring was to limit travel and you have a team going from, you know, New York to Georgia, how is that limiting travel on a bus? We'll have to see, hopefully there's some way to work it out. One interesting thing I saw, Ben, you were talking about this on Twitter earlier. One thing about the high East league is that there's five teams in one division and seven in another. So we, we know they're going to add a necessity, be a team from the North playing a team from the South. That's just the way that league is going to have to look at that's something we will cover again when official schedules come out, but just something to keep an eye on there. One other thing about these lower leagues that I find fascinating um, that I don't think we've touched on quite yet is essentially what you call the old Florida state league, low a Southeast now being a low a league. So many of these low a leagues now are based in warm weather places. That's going to be huge. You're, you've got guys coming out 18, 19 years old. If they're, you know, international players or guys fresh out of college, what have you, just trying to get their feet on the ground in pro ball. Sometimes they were being sent to Michigan and, you know, Wisconsin and these cold places at the beginning of the year. Now they're going to be, in some cases, if in the Florida State League, very close or at basically the complex, which is going to be great for their development. It's not going to be too weird yet, or they're going to be in warm weather places where it's easier to play in April and May. Um, so that's just something to consider in, in terms of how the track of your, you know, minor league system is going to go. Just to point out one example, the Cincinnati Reds system now, you start at the Daytona Tortugas. Now, the Reds are an Arizona-based team, but at least their best player or their low A players will be starting in a warm weather climate over there in Daytona. They're going to go from there to Dayton at high A, 
obviously a colder weather place, but by that point, they will be either getting called up in the middle of the season or certainly more used to minor league baseball. Then they go to Chattanooga. Now, by the way, do you have to subtract the A when they climb a level rather than adding? They used to go from Dayton to Daytona. Daytona, Now you got to take the A off when they move up a level. Yeah, I didn't even think about that when I chose them as an example, (laughs) but that's a good one. But then they they go to the double A South League with Chattanooga, and then they get basically right next door in uh, in Louisville. So you can see basically an easy way of how they are literally climbing towards the major leagues. That's what the the basis of this is so much is is getting guys in good places to succeed and starting out the younger players in warmer weather environments is just something I want to make sure we highlight. There are um, so many different dimensions to this conversation. We could probably do a three-hour podcast trying to break down all of it today. We're not going to do that. We're not going to subject you to uh, me trying to guide this conversation through three hours. Um, But I will uh, point out a couple of things. One question, as Sam noted, is schedules, um, which is something that we're hoping to have soon. We do not yet know um, when the AA and Class A seasons will start. We did hear, as we talked about on the podcast several weeks ago, that those would potentially be delayed a month in order to allow some social distancing and other uh, pandemic uh, health and safety guidelines to um, direct spring training along at the major league and AAA levels. Um, I think one of the biggest questions that we are going to get going forward beyond, hey, when do we have a schedule is, can I go to games? That is all going to depend on local health and governmental authorities. Just like you're seeing in the NBA, just like you're seeing in the NFL, um, there are certain places that will be a lot more likely to have fans in attendance early on. Um, I know there are certain minor league teams that have already sent out you know, season ticket packages for limited amounts of fans, for example, or have said that their ballpark will only be open to season ticket holders at the start of the season at least. So that is something that is going to continue to evolve. Hopefully, I mean, we're at a stage now where it seems like a good amount of people are getting vaccinated from day to day uh, across this country. So hopefully that's a situation that improves. Um, There is one big component to this that we have not yet discussed, and that is, uh, quoting directly now from the MLB release, quote, the licenses, referring to the, the player development licenses, will create many improvements to the experience and lifestyle of minor league players, such as player salary increases ranging from 38% to 72% for the 2021 season, modernized facility standards better suited for professional athletes, improved amenities and working conditions for players and staff, reduced in-season travel for players and coaches, the geographical stuff that Sam was talking about, and better geographical alignment. Now, there are still some franchises that have kind of a wacky footprint that are sort of left on an Island, of course, being in the, the city where I am, you look at the Colorado Rockies uh, partnerships. And if you're a Rockies player to climb the ladder, now you go from Fresno, California to Spokane, Washington, to Hartford, Connecticut, to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and then eventually to Denver. Um, but I think the, the big component out of those bullet points is the player salary increases, which is something that we have heard about and discussed uh, a lot over the last several years. And Ben, um, you know, having been involved in this and talking with, you know, players and staffers and front office members and all of that, this is something that has been on the table and in the the discussion for a long time. Um, it's great to see this step forward. Um, and I'm just anxious to hear what you think about, especially that component of all of this from the, the business side, not necessarily what it means for major league franchises and all that, but for players, for coaches, um, and for these organizations on the minor league level, that's a very big step. Yeah. I mean, that's something that's a long time coming and, um, you know, it's obviously being announced right now as part of the, you know, part of this new, 
uh, guiding structure of, of uh, minor league baseball and the whole system. But, uh, you know, player pay is something that Major League Baseball always controlled, even, uh, you know, for as long as there's been minor league baseball players. That wasn't an element that minor league baseball had controlled or that something was directly negotiated in terms of how much to pay the players because that was something that Major League Baseball has chosen. So I'm glad that as part of the restructuring and having less teams that, you know, now is really the time to step up to say, like, now we can pay the players more or now we will decide to pay the players more. Um, it's obviously good PR because uh, the more players get paid, uh, the better it looks. And it's also just, it's a tough way to make a living. And that's been documented uh, quite a bit through the years. And um, I think these this uh, pay increase can go a, a long way. And uh, there is just a greater emphasis on player development across the board. So more, more uh, better play, pay uh, tied in with like a, a greater emphasis on uh, what the requirements are for a facility to be an affiliated ballpark. So better pay, better uh, working conditions. And proximity is also, in a sense, a player amenity. Um, it's an organizational amenity for scouting and people being able to see all the teams in the system. Um, but it's certainly a player amenity to reduce the travel. So I think those three things all together, um, you know, all speak to a better landscape for players, um, which I think was, you know, part of this player development and the players themselves. And uh, you can put, certainly put them all under the category of uh, being you know, a player improvement. Um, I think proximity is, is good for the fans as well in that the closer a team plays to its major league affiliate, the more likely you are to have an interest in the game and the players on the field and all of that. But uh, I think first and foremost, uh, these are things that development that uh, you know, directly benefit the players and player development. Just another couple of quick things um, before we start to get a handle on this thing to wrap it up. Um, we discuss these four full season levels, meaning that there is uh, no longer any short season ball. So rookie level and class A short season now have sort of been eliminated, but that's where I'm going. The Arizona League and the Gulf Coast League do still exist. Uh, so does the Dominican Summer League. So for those young players that get signed at 16 on the international landscape and go to the DSL or come over here to the AZL or the GCL, those leagues will still exist. Um, the draft, the Major League Baseball first-year player draft, has been moved back to July. Um, there obviously is still an opportunity for players, I would say probably more likely for college players, to jump out of the draft uh, and into full-season ball at low A or high A or wherever. Um, but those are things things to keep in mind as well. And, you know, I think it's just, as we talked at the, at the outset of this, I think it's just good to have clarity on this because we've been waiting around for it for so long. Um, and yeah, change is always scary, but you know, I remember all of us talking when these conversations first started um, and a lot of the conversation was very loud and was very negative across the social media landscape or wherever it is. And, um, you know, on the inside of it, I think we've all felt for a long time, not I want to speak for you guys, but I think we've all felt for, for a long time that a lot of these decisions being made address a lot of very valid concerns. I think there was a lot of redundancy with the old structure. The fact that some teams had a, a class A uh, or a rookie level complex team, Gulf Coast League or Arizona League. Then they had a class A short season team. Uh, they might've had another rookie league team in between those. There were essentially three uh, minor league organizations filling almost the same role. There's a lot of that stuff that's been addressed here. Um, it is frightening and it is going to be strange to see certain teams in certain spots, whether they're independent now or they have moved up or down levels or whatever it is. But I think there is so much good that comes out of this and it's just good to have that clarity. 
Um, and that's that's kind of where today has left me, at least. And and Sam, um, I'm anxious to hear your thoughts on it since, you know, we've texted back and forth for the last year and a half about this and wondered when we'd be getting these decisions and all this news. And, and now it's here today. Yeah, I mean, it, it is very much a Band-Aid getting ripped off, which I wish I had a better metaphor to go off that. But it is it is kind of like the next step we needed to go through uh, to kind of heal and move on. Um, once we knew that this was definitely happening again, like we, we heard, I don't even remember, maybe you guys remember better than I do, but like when we first heard the number 120 and how that just loomed over everybody. And it, like when, when it's 120 and 43 teams are getting cut and it's, it feels like anything's possible even if there are teams that have been around a long time. Or- and initially it was 120 and just 40 teams were getting cut because we didn't know about independent league teams moving into the affiliated structure and all of that. So right. then it became even more of a conversation, right? Right, yeah. So um, just to be able to, to know exactly who we're moving forward with is, is a great step. Um, I'm looking forward to just seeing, you know, talking to players. That, that's so much of what we do is talk to players and get their perspective as, as much as we can sit here and say, yeah, it's great that you go from Daytona to Dayton to, to Chattanooga to Louisville. What is it going to be like for a player to go through that experience? I, I remember uh, one of my, one of the interviews I did the first year I did this, not to go, go back to this point, but was with Jose Fernandez and asking him like, you know, how did you feel tonight? And he's like, well, it's cold. And that's all he talked about. That's all he really wanted to talk about. If he was a Marlins affiliate now, he would be in Jupiter. And being, you know, he came from Cuba, but he came from Florida. He would be comfortable in that role. Um, so I think that w- would have only helped his development. Maybe he put a, would have put up even more video game numbers. We don't know that, but we will know that going forward. And I think a, a time of change like this, now that it has been completed, is followed by a time of learning. Like now there's just going to be so much we're going to have to learn about these leagues and, and how they work with each other and, and what happens when you get called up from one place to another. We, we don't have answers. Nobody has answers until the games are actually played. And I say that every year. One of my favorite things about the season starting again is just getting fresh data, just seeing who can break out, who, who can pitch very, very well, who's doing something new with the pitch, who's adding to their power tool, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, now the next thing for us is going to be learning how these leagues work, learning how these new systems work and all that. So really looking forward to digging into that and seeing it put in play and starting now, this is really the jumping off point we can have for those discussions. All right, guys, I think we'll start to wrap this up, but Ben, I want to finish with you Um, being, as I said, you know, kind of the guy who is our, our mayor of minor league baseball, essentially having seen almost every ballpark in the country. And um, now you got nine new ones that you got to hit up Um, to people who are um, reticent to acknowledge that this change can be good or that the, the product that they're going to have going forward is the same thing they fell in love with. Um, what would you say to those people? Because I think you brought up so many good and valid points early on about how this is still going to be the thing that we all love. Um, what are your thoughts when you think about it in that larger context today? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I don't you know, begrudge anyone who feels uneasy or just you know, has been so attached to their team 
in a specific context or the name of the league in which their team played or, you know, having lost affiliation altogether, or in some cases, a team whose future we don't even know if that team will exist going forward. Um, you know, we've talked about in the past as we've kind of had news leading up to this, but, you know, the emotional response when you're dealing with something as large as minor league baseball is just by nature all over the place. You're going to have people who are furious and just want to rage against everything. You have people who are like, oh, my God, I can't wait. This is awesome. You have people who are in between. And I get all of that. And uh, so, you know, I don't want to come on here and be like, everything's awesome. Put aside all your fears, rah, rah, rah. But I do think sometimes it's natural, I think, with change. Um, there is, you know, kind of fear and anger um, with a lot of it, um, just because it's like, what are you doing? I don't know what this is. You know, it's in a lot of ways, it's just kind of like, you know, I had friends at the school I used to be in, and now I have to go to a new school. Like, I, I don't want to do this. I want to go back to the way things were. Um, but I think at its core, again, I, I guess to go back to the points I made when we first started talking, is there's still so many teams out there affiliated and not and they're going to keep being the teams that they were, I think, to a very large extent um, in terms of the operational philosophies on the ground in these small cities and towns. Um, you know, MLB has much more direct control right now in the overall operation. But I know that um, at least for all the people I've known in the industry through the years, you know, a lot of really creative people who are going to want to you know, put their own unique stamp on their product. And isn't that what we've been celebrating all along is the, the unique uniqueness of each and every place. And, you know, we even see that right now. It's not in the affiliated minor leagues right now. Uh, now it's summer collegiate, but the Appalachian League, you know, that used to have the parent club uh, name for every all 10 teams in the league. And now we're seeing the sock puppets and the Axemen and, and, and the things uh, get birthed from that new uh, reality as a summer collegiate entity. So that's another tangent. We can go on tangent upon tangent. Uh, but I just think that we're still going to be able to tell these stories and each team is still going to have its, in most cases, its unique name and unique traditions and um, a history that even if now just got a little bit more convoluted was probably always convoluted and we'll still find a way to tell it and think of the players who came through and think of the jerseys and uniforms and logos that used to be. And it's still part of the all the same story and the story that in a lot of ways started at the turn of the 20th century and is now continuing, you know, well into the 21st. And, uh, you know, like anything else, it's a work in progress. I don't even know how I feel about it totally because I want to see it in action too. I'm still, you know, just thinking about exactly what my job will be going forward as we figure out the specifics of how we cover, cover the new landscape. Of course, I have my own questions personally, uh, professionally as a fan, but it's minor league baseball. It's still here. And we've loved it for this long. And I, for one, I'm not going to stop loving it now. Well, I am uh, honored to be able to talk about this with you two dudes and uh, hopefully give people some uh, some clarity and some knowledge about the, the news today. And uh, we obviously will be here next week to talk about it even further with you as we get closer and closer to the start of spring training and to schedules being announced and to a minor league opening day in 2021. God, just get us there because it has been a long year and a half. Uh, but for the, the two best and brightest dudes uh, that I could ever do a podcast with Benjamin Hill and Sam Dykstra. Uh, well, I don't want to cut either of you off. Do you have anything else? <laughs> no, I mean, you're calling us bright, so I don't think we should <laughs> insert anything whatsoever. I just meant specifically and literally for you because you have a very bright sunset behind you and you're wearing an orange WNBA hoodie today. I am. I, I wish I could say I matched this background with my hoodie. <laughs> this is just how I am. I love that you looked over your shoulder at it anyway, even though it's a virtual background. <laughs>
you know, like this behind you. It's gorgeous landscape. Well, for Benjamin Hill and for Sam Dykstra, my name is Tyler Mon. Uh, please do get in touch. If you do have questions about this uh, restructuring and the realignment in the future of minor league baseball podcast at MILB.com. You can find us all on Twitter. Uh, ben is at Ben's Biz. Sam is at Sam Dykstra MILB. I am at Tyler Mon. And uh, for the, the next chapter of minor league baseball, where you start it now, and we'll talk to you more about it next week. 